Hey, I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. A bonus edition. So, Jam. Yes? Are you ready for this week's bonus edition? I am. Do you mean this month's? Uh, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> There's something our listeners don't know that we can just tell them right now. I always say this week's bonus edition because for a long time we did a bonus edition every week. And also she, because we also say this week for everything else, you know, like this week's episode or whatever. Yeah. Melissa always wants to say it for the, this, for the monthly re-release, re-broadcast yep. episode. She'd be like for this week's rebroadcast, it'd be quite a bit <laughs> to rebroadcast one every week. That'd be a little insane. So that's something, that's something that, that's a little behind the scenes action for y'all. Now you know. Yeah. So and are you ready for this month's rebroadcast? I am what? ready. <laughs> are you ready for this month's episode, mini bonus episode? What are we, what am I saying? I'll tell you this. You know what? Whatever it is, I'm ready for it. Okay. You're ready for yeah, it. Yeah. I'm ready. Just like Taylor Swift. Are you ready for it? <laughs> yes. Exactly <laughs> like Taylor Swift. Well, I'm actually going to start with a little correction corner before you do any um, question asking. Okay. This is from Avishai, and after the bread episode came out, he sent me a message, and it unlocked a little memory in my brain. He said, short amino acid chains are called peptides, not proteins. Okay. But I will say, for whatever reason, in the papers I read about the bread, that the single chain, or shorter chain amino acids were called proteins. I'm not sure why. Okay. Um, but he said they're called peptides, and they have various roles in the cell. Also, there's an amazing course by Harvard University available for free on edX.org. So that's edX.org about the physics and chemistry of food. And I thought that was really cool because Mason has also been using edX.org to learn some about coding. Ah. And he's really liked it too. And I wanted to take his food science course for a really long time. So I was excited to find out that there's food science on there. And I will definitely be starting that up soon so thanks for telling us and i just i guess i just wanted to share with our listeners who i know love to learn yeah so. seriously that's awesome okay now you can start with the questions jam okay this first one's a heavy hitter so i just hope you're ready <laughs> brie asks i hope you guys are ready to at home and just before just, uh, are you sitting down to make sure you guys are <laughs> sitting down for this one just because it's gonna it's a tough one what's your favorite chemistry pun slash joke well, Jam, my favorite, Jam and Brie, my favorite chemistry pun or joke is the chemistry sweatshirt. Ah, I mean, yes. it was obviously a pun before you made it into a sweatshirt. Yeah. But yeah, so the chemistry that has the like little things. And actually Brie sent me a message with a, with a chemistry with test tubes and flasks on it on Twitter, like the real version of what we have on the sweatshirt. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And she asked if I'd ever had a chance to make one in the lab and I could have probably done it in the lab I was in in uh, grad school but uh -huh. you know I, w I was a sad grad student at the time <laughs> and didn't have a lot of excitement for messing around and probably yeah. would have gotten in trouble for wasting solvent or something so I never did anything fun like that yeah but there are really good ones online so that's probably mine what about yours Jim wow what a tough question for a uh armchair podcast uh, chemistry student. So as Melissa, you know, and as <laughs> listeners, if you listen to a few episodes, you, you know that if, if there's an opportunity, I do make dumb jokes about the chemistry content and stuff like yeah. that. And one of the ones that I really like 
that is really dumb. So it's like, I'm proud of it, but it's not actually going to blow any of y'all's minds or anything like that. <laughs> oh, no. But one time we were talking about distilled water and just the different kinds of water, what's in oh, yeah. stuff. And, um, and I was like, Melissa, do you know why they call it distilled water? And she was like, I mean, I think she could tell I was prepping for a <laughs> yeah, joke. Yeah, I can she usually like, tell. Yeah, she's like, no, I don't. Why do they call it that? And I was like, well, because they took water and they did all the stuff that they do to it, which I can't remember what they did, but you explained it. They just boil they, it and capture the steam and yeah, pull it back down. Right. Take to take a lot of things that are dissolved in the water out and then it's removed. And it's basically a lot less complex version of water, correct? Like, right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it's like more pure. And they did all that stuff and then they were kind of checking it out and observing it. And they're like, huh. I guess this still water. <laughs> I hate it. And that's why they call it distilled water. Yeah, I hate it. Because even though I did all those things, <clears throat> distilled no, water. No. You know? Distilling is the is what it's called when you boil something uh-huh. and you capture the steam and condense it back down in another flask or mm, something. Got so it. So that's it. That's actually why it's called it. Not because it's still water. I mean... Still, we can agree to disagree on this. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I also like this. Isn't really a joke. I guess it's more of a pun, but the one that Jam came up with, where like a polymer is a mo- like a molecule made up of a bunch of molecules, it kind of is a pun. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of a pun. But it's also a definition, and it's very accurate. So I like it. But molecules, not a real. There's not no such thing as a molecule. <laughs> so that's up there too. Um, but there. I think what's nice about chemistry is there really is a lot of room for jokes and stuff. There's the symbols of different elements. You could kind of do yeah. some stuff with that. I don't know. It's just, um, I feel like there's maybe every field is that way, but I feel mm-hmm. like it's opportunities everywhere for little jokes and puns and stuff. David Miller sent me one. Uh, he's, he's a professor, I think, and he emails us quite a bit. Uh-huh. And he sent me one that was like a one-eyed, what is that? Like a one-eyed something, something. Flying purple people eater. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like an isopropyl, which is <laughs> a functional group in chemistry. That made me laugh. Too. I, isopropyl people eater. Something like that. And that was one I hadn't seen before. It's it's hard to get one that I haven't seen before. Usually I've seen them before. So good job, David. Good job on the puns. And thanks for the question, Bree. And she's got another one. And here it is. If you could talk with any scientist from all of human history, who would it be and why? And then she said, personally, I'd love to chat with Rosalind Franklin and let her know that her name hasn't been forgotten and that a fair amount of people recognize her contributions to chemistry. Yeah, I feel like Bree is onto something there because I think there are probably a lot of women whose names have been forgotten. Mm-hmm. And so there, it's almost like I'd want to talk to one of them probably. Yeah. But for a name that hasn't been forgotten, one person that I would like to talk to is probably Marie Maynard Daly. Um, she was the first black woman to get a PhD in chemistry. And we talked about her on an episode. That's right. I think in February. Yeah. And I feel like she must have had so much going on and I would really like to have heard about her experiences, but also maybe get some wisdom on how she persevered. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise it was hard for me to think of what, I feel like there's someone that's probably a really good, cool scientist that we don't actually know about. Yeah. You know, and then I, otherwise I feel like a lot of people who made these really impressive contributions maybe weren't as 
nice or as interesting as we'd think. <laughs> right, right. Maybe Albert Einstein. He, people talk about him a lot. It'd be nice to be like, so what is he really like? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think like it's tough because the other thing is that so many of these scientists from history have discovered things that are super important. Yeah. But depending on the thing, now it's very understood, very commonplace. So talking to them might be still interesting, but it would be a little bit like, oh, well, I actually understand what you discovered. And also a lot of things that were discovered after you. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, you know. Like, say, oh, actually that's wrong. <laughs> say someone like really early on who discovered some really cool fundamental things about chemistry, for instance. Like the Bohr model of the atom. Right. Or like Lavoisier or something like that, where yeah. it's like really early discoveries that are cool and people built upon it was very necessary, but it's going so far sort of backward. Yeah. That it'd be, it might be a little bit frustrating to be like, listen, dude, like we've also discovered like so many things after that yeah. or whatever, but. Listen, all I know though, is I would not have been a chemist in the age where there weren't computers because mm. they had to do a lot of like little detailed work that me on my ADHD brain would not have. Yeah. I don't know that I would have had it in me. I would have been like, this is too boring. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> they didn't have a lot to, to, they had to do a lot from scratch. Yeah, they, I remember somebody talking about when they would draw molecules, they had to hand draw things to go in their papers. Yeah. And to make sure everything was perfect, they like had to measure out the angle of every single molecule and, I was like, I would just wouldn't have done it. I yeah. just would not have done that. Yeah. So I think props to the, that round of people too. Totally. Just, I think what you said about Einstein is an easy one to like say, because I don't know a ton of scientists or whatever. Yeah. But another one, I feel like I regularly feel a distant fascination with is Tesla. And there's always oh, yeah. people saying like, oh, actually Nikola Tesla, he had sketches of this thing. Uh -huh. or whatever or he made this thing he didn't know how it could be applied but he made a blah 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 yeah and tested it and it worked and it's just like people like that where i was like i think he was like way ahead on a bunch of stuff and i don't really understand that yeah. i'm sure other people do but i'm like I, he seems like he'd be cool to talk to <laughs> also <laughs> for some reason okay i'm sick people listening at home so don't judge me but when you said Tesla, I thought you meant like Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the guy who made the car. And then I was like, oh, oh, right. There was a, yeah. there was a scientist Before named. Before the car, there yeah. was a guy. That, yeah. <laughs> and that's who the car is named after, not who made the car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's a weird, you mean the guy who just bought Twitter like that? <laughs> He's was, alive now. You can yeah. talk to him now. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. I was so confused for like probably like two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good question. Yeah. Very good question. This next question is from Igor. Um, Igor said, hi, I'm Igor from Brazil. And I'd like to know more about Melissa's educational research. Well, we just don't know anything about <laughs> it. So sorry. Sorry. Well, Igor, we actually did an episode about my education research, which was all about my dissertation right after I defended. And I think it was called, why do people hate organic chemistry? Mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. Jim? Yep. And um, so that's a little bit about that. Now I've switched gears a little bit. And I'm doing research in the lab of Dr. Jordan Harshman at Auburn University. I work remotely, so I'm not at Auburn, <laughs> <laughs> but I am investigating sort of, I guess we're trying to build a model for graduate education in chemistry and why we do the things that we do to help develop experts in chemistry. And 
and maybe how each of those different aspects of graduate education contributes to the development of an expert is kind of my elevator pitch. It's really fun. I get to interview faculty members and ask them all kinds of questions about why we do what we do. So I really like it. I love talking to people and interviewing and stuff like that. So um, that's what I'm doing now, but there's all kinds of education research. So I tend to focus, um, I guess the thing I'm interested in is kind of changing the system because it seems a little bit broken, which that can be hard to do because there's so many moving pieces, but there's, there's research that focuses on how feelings impact learning chemistry. There's research that focuses on misconceptions and a conceptual understanding of chemistry. There's research that focuses on how students, um, maybe approach problem solving. I mean, there's all kinds of education research. And the type that I'm doing is under the umbrella of what's called DEBER, which is discipline-based education research. So um, people who are doing the education research also have an expertise in the discipline. So chemists doing education research. But there's also education research outside of those things, just regular old education research. So that's a little bit about it. I really love it. There's... um, a really sweet community of people who do chemistry education research. And I've learned so much. And I think it sort of distilled the things I loved about research, which is like learning new things and um, sort of contributing to our body of knowledge together with uh, teaching, which I also love. So I get to learn about the best ways of teaching and I get to learn about how students are learning, you know, so that not only could I be a better teacher, but everyone, or not only can we make better programs, but everyone could, or, you know, things like that. So it's not, I think sometimes people think it's just about teaching, but it really is like a statistics, education, research, like there's methods, there's all kinds of stuff um, that goes into really learning about how students are learning chemistry and what we can do to make that the best practice. So that's a little bit about it. Yeah. (laughs) And even more in that episode, like Melissa mentioned, why do people hate organic chemistry? Mm-hmm. But then also, it's just sort of honorable mention, we did do an episode as well about what you studied in your master's, even though it's not about oh, educational yeah. research, mm-hmm. which that's kind of cool. So you can kind of trace some of the like the arc of, of what Melissa has studied and researched about. And that was yeah. about solar cells, correct? Mm-hmm. I think the episode is like, how do we turn sunlight? I think the title was, how do we turn sunlight into energy? That's Oops. right. That's right. And now Jam has solar panels on his house. Mm-hmm. Yep, more on that later. Full circle. Yep, it's full circle. Okay. That's a good question. Um, this next one is also a good question from Abe on Instagram. Asked, why does Tupperware stain from pasta? Okay, this is chemistry off the cuff. I didn't look it up. But here's here's how I you get a real-time look at how I think about this question. So I'm thinking plastic, Tupperware is plastic, And glass doesn't stain from pasta, so there must be something in the plastic, in the chemical makeup of the plastic itself that makes it prone to that. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking that maybe plastic is porous, possibly like um, things can leach into the plastic. Uh And I think what would be happening if you zoom into the molecular level is plastics are polymers. So they're just like long strands of repeating units of molecules. And I think they're primarily carbon. Mm -hmm. We learned plastics come from crude oil. Remember Yeah. in our whole, in our recycling episodes. So I'm assuming that in the pasta, something that makes it red 
must be able to bind to and incorporate into because not like on top. Right, right. I think it must, some red molecule uh, must be able to get in there and literally bind Mm. to the plastic. Yeah, that makes sense. That's what I think. I think basically little red molecules wiggle their way into the polymer. They must be similar enough to the chemical structure of the polymer that usually it happens after you heat pasta sauce in there. Yeah, I was going to say, anecdotally, it's only ever happened to me if I've heated it in the plastic container. Yep. But just carry it in there and like dump on a plate. I don't think it has happened for me. Yeah, so I think there must be enough energy when the heat is put into the molecules, then the molecules move around more and they must be able to use that energy to wiggle their way in and bind to the plastic. That's what I think happens. But I just made that completely up. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I guess I didn't make that completely (laughs) up. Like (laughs) polymers are that way and that was based in chemistry, but I didn't look it up at all. It's funny because it almost sounds like, but don't trust anything I said because that's not even what polymers are. It's not even how they work. No, do trust what I said as a best guess of someone who doesn't study plastics or pasta. (laughs) That is so funny, but also such a good question. I mean, like, yeah, I've wondered that so many times. Yeah, I, I feel like maybe I could look it up and do a whole episode on it, but that's what I think off the top of my head. So we'll see. And then non-chemist uh, opinion off the cuff, switch your Tupperware to glass. Um, that's what we did. The 100%. lids are plastic, but yeah. that's okay. They don't say you don't heat them. You don't heat it with the lids, but we have these, these glass Tupperware mm-hmm. things that we love and they're great. Yeah, we do too. We have glass. We call them glass Tupperware. I guess technically they're glass like glassware to go <laughs> to yeah. go container or I don't know glass storage containers. That's what we use too. Yep. And if I if I stumble upon a plastic one, I'll just keep it to give food away. <laughs> <laughs> this next question is from Audrey M. Audrey asks, "What's the best tip for attaining information long term?" Okay, Audrey, the question you just asked is actually called metacognition. Whoa. (laughs) So sort of metacognition is thinking about how you think. And so honestly, I guess my answer to your question is metacognition. So I would think about how you're learning and adjust whatever you're learning, like whatever you're trying to learn or retain based on things that you learn. So like about learning. (laughs) Um, I became a much better student after I started taking my education classes because I started learning about how to make meaningful connections. So a few things that stand out to me that I learned were, um, you can only take in so much information. So there's a, this thing called the information processing model. And the, the visual I always think of is say that the information coming in is like sunlight through a window, Hmm. but the blinds are half closed. You can't take in everything that's being thrown at you at once. Yeah. So, you know, allow yourself time to process multiple times if you're trying to retain the information. And then the other thing is make meaningful connections. The other thing is to make meaningful connections to something you already know. So I kind of think there's a, there's an idea called a concept map, but I always think, I also think of it like, um, maybe like a spider web. It's like, Mm. if you try to make a spider web, that's not connected to anything, you're not going to have a good time. Right. Right. Or the spider won't have a good time, I guess. Yeah. But if you can have these anchor points, like what we do in this podcast episode or in our podcast episodes, you already know the phenomenon you've seen. You've seen the, the staining of the Tupperware 
And then I'll usually try to connect it to other episodes where we've talked about these ideas before or use an analogy to help um, sort of make those meaningful connections rather than just memorization. So one of the theories that I learned when I was doing my dissertation is this idea of like meaningful learning Mm. is in opposition, sort of on a scale where one side is just rote memorizing and then on the other side of the scale is meaningful learning. So Uh, you want to be as far to the meaningful learning where you're actually making meaningful connections and having a true understanding of what's going on and it's it's anchored to other ideas that you already understand in your mind. So those are kind of my two tips, I guess, based on what I've learned. But my biggest tip is you go learn about learning and use that to optimize your own learning process. Mm. Metacognition. That makes sense. It's like just it's also just like so meta, dude. I just it is wow. I, I it is literally exactly meta, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's literally meta. Um it reminded me the way you started that answer of that vine that I don't know if you've seen and I don't know if other people have listened to this have seen, but there's this vine where this guy's like, Huh, I wonder what I'm thinking about right now. And then it goes into like kinda goes into his head and then it's just like, Huh, I wonder what I'm thinking about right <laughs> now. And it's like perfectly loops. Because like it's like thinking about thinking. About yes, thinking. exactly. That, I mean that's literally the definition of metacognition I think is literally a awareness and I looked it up. Awareness and understanding of one's own thought process. So huh. learning about learning and then making your thought process be in line with that is, you know, metacognition. Yeah. Learn about how to learn and then adjust your learning processes based on what you've learned. <laughs> how many times can I say learn in one sentence? Interesting. That's cool. This next one is asked by Nani. Why does salt preserve things? Okay, chemistry off the cuff again. Actually, I think it's biochemistry off the cuff. Mm. So I'm pretty sure the reason is, and biochemists out there, come at me, correct me if I'm wrong. I think salt pulls water out of cells because of the, you know, uh, I think it's osmosis technically, but there's this desire for things in nature to be sort of equal, Mm. what I've seen. Like when we talked about the episode with the hot coffee, how it cools down because all the electrons want the same movement, you know? Right, right. And there's this thing that happens in cells where if there's an uneven balance of salt water on the outside of the cells versus the inside, it will move the water around to try to even out that dispersion Ah. to get an equal concentration. So if you put a bunch of salt on the outside of cells, it'll pull the water out. Interesting. And so that can preserve things because if the bacterial cells are there and you pull all the water out of them, they will die. Hmm. But I think that's also why if humans drink salt water, while well, they'll die too, I think. Huh. <laughs> I don't know for sure. <laughs> but so things, you know, things don't live well if they're surrounded by salt. Okay, this is an interesting one from our friend Nikki. Nikki asks, is there a scientific reason why the saying is they had chemistry to mean attraction and not like they had biology. I think it's because chemistry is all about electrons being shared Mm. and like ionic bonds is something that's positive and something that's negative. Yeah. Being attracted to each other. Right. So I think it must be that. And like chemistry is forming bonds and breaking bonds, but forming bonds. And that's what I feel like happens in a relationship when you have chemistry. Yeah. 
But what even is chemistry in a relationship? Is it just like infatuation? Yeah, who knows? I guess, yeah, I guess you'd have to kind of ask what, what people mean because they might mean different things. Yeah. Like they might, people might be, be using it differently, but. But I think it's like that initial attraction, which is like molecules can be attracted to each other, even with yeah. intermolecular forces, you know? I've even heard people talk about it in terms of like, like departments or like teams at work though. Like, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's not always romantic necessarily. People are like, we have a really good chemistry in terms of our, our team. Well, together. also intermolecular forces work together, you yep. know, well to hold geckos up on walls and stuff. Yeah. Also, it's funny about reading this. They had biology. I was thinking like, well, no, I have biology already on my own. Like yeah, I got, I got biology true. right here just by myself. But then once this was other people, it's called chemistry. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That is a good question. Actually, also, on an upcoming episode, we're going to talk about a molecule that has chemistry within itself. So, whoa. you know, who knows? I mean, molecules are chemistry, but a reaction within itself. Interesting. But I don't know. I could have looked up where that came from, but I just thought it'd be more fun to speculate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. And then the last little bit is not a question, but it's from David Miller. And he he's a chemistry professor. We mentioned him earlier in the episode. And he wrote in to tell us. That he made it to episode 100. Nice. And we did that episode a, l- a while ago, but he said, I did the 100th episode quiz while I was proctoring one of my courses exams, which that made me laugh because <laughs> proctoring exams is really boring. <laughs> You're just watching a bunch of people take a test. It's literally the most boring thing. <laughs> and even though I teach chem, I was happy to do super well. Even hung it up in my office on campus, LOL. Thanks for the super fun special episode and congrats on making it to episode 100 and even beyond now. So I thought that was fun. Yeah. And I think we're on episode 150 as of now. So that's kind of wild. Yeah, that is crazy. So we've been doing this for three years Mm -hmm. now already. So Mm -hmm. even longer because we do every other week now. So really cool. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that, David. We love to hear about how the show's impacting you or where you are when you're listening and I really loved hearing how people did on the 100th episode quiz. So that was really fun. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I have for us this week. Thanks to all of our listeners who wrote in questions. We really appreciate it. Yes. And if you want to write in a question yourself, and especially if you want to have priority question asking to uh, kind of, we get a lot of questions. So if you want to have priority question asking, making sure we don't miss it or even record yourself asking your question, you can do that on by becoming one of our, patrons um joining our super cool community of patrons at patreon.com slash chem for your life and this episode of chemistry for your life was actually made possible by our financial supporters over on patreon it means so much to us that you want to help make chemistry accessible to even more people and that you write in such cool questions for us every month for our q and r those supporters are avishai b brie m brian k Chris and Claire S, Chelsea B, Derek L, Emerson W, Hunter R, Jacob T, Christina G, Lynn S, Melissa P, Nicole C, Stephen B, Shadow, Suzanne S, Sam N, Stephen B, and Timothy P. Thanks again for everything you do to make chemistry for your life happen. We also have to give a special thanks to E. Robinson, who reviewed this episode. Mm-hmm.